Welcome to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars and today is Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. Um, I'm going to see how long my voice lasts. Um, I think I got a virus like one on top of the other the last couple months and stuff like that is happening. I think, you know, having quarantined for like a year um, we didn't allow ourselves to build up immunity to some of the viruses and germs that are out there. And uh, now it's my first year working at schools, so I think I'm catching everything. And that's what you're hearing in my voice, um, upper respiratory distress. Not really distress, just a virus, apparently. Anyway... I'll see how long my voice lasts. For episode 84, I do have a topic. I don't know if I'm going to get to it because before I wanted to get to my topic, my main topic, I wanted to give you the latest updates on the Delphi, Indiana murder case of 14-year-old Liberty German and 13-year-old Abigail Williams and the recent release of the Probable Cause Affidavit, also known as the PCA, of the suspected murderer, Richard Allen. Allen. So, if you know anything about this case, um, you are liable to become infuriated or even more confused about what happened. So, um... Now, PCAs, of course, don't reveal everything, but a lot has been revealed, and you're going to shake your head. So, um, I also want to remind you that I am not an attorney, I'm not a judge, I'm not even a paralegal or a legal assistant. I just pay attention very carefully to what I read, and I read the affidavit. I wrote a synopsis of what I believe to have happened and I cross-referenced it with what the experts had to say. So here's my summary of what I believe the probable cause affidavit is indicating. So first of all, Richard Allen, the suspected murderer of the girls, the murder that happened on February 13, 2017, he is believed to be not I'm sorry, not believed. He is not believed to be the only perpetrator involved in the murders. Now, law enforcement and the um, prosecuting team, they're not giving any other information on other accomplices, but they're saying that they're, they exist. However, law enforcement does absolutely swear that Richard Allen is the so-called bridge guy. Bridge guy being the um, man that Liberty captured on video, crossing the bridge, chasing after them, as well as the individual who said, guys, down the hill. That was all Richard Allen. He's being charged with felony murder. And the reason he's being charged with felony murder is because he was trying to kidnap a so-called victim one when he killed both of the girls. 
Well, it is generally believed that Ellen was trying to take them from one location to another. No further details are given. The second point is the witnesses on or near the bridge that day reported seeing a man wearing a blue jacket and blue jeans and he was muddy and bloody and he looked like he had been in a fight. Point number three, police believe this bloody man was Richard Allen walking back to his car after the girls had been killed. And we'll get to that car in a second. Richard Allen, shortly after the news had come out about the murders, of his own volition, he went to the police and he told them that he was on the bridge that day, that he was wearing blue jeans and a blue jacket, but that he did not kill the girls. And he was just spending a couple hours looking at the fish in the river. And then he walked back to his car around 3.30 p.m. that day. Furthermore, Richard Allen describes the young women he saw on the trails that day or unbeknownst to him what turned out to be the witnesses. He says that he saw them. What he didn't know is that they said they saw him too and that he was muddy and bloody. Point number five. Police determined that this muddied and bloodied individual was traveling on a road adjacent to the crime scene shortly before 4 p.m. And the girls were abducted around 2.20 p.m. and they were believed to have died anywhere between 3 and 3.45 p.m. So he was with them for a long time. Point number six, the mysterious car that was parked at the nearby CPS building matched one of two vehicles owned by Allen. I believe it was a the, the CP Cruiser and it was purple-ish. But anyway, it belonged to him, the car that people saw that day. Point number seven, the bodies of Libby and Abby were discovered the day after they died on the 14th. Between the bodies of the two girls, which was a space of about two feet, there laid on the ground an unspent 40 caliber round of ammunition. A lab later proved that that bullet came from Richard Allen's gun. Point number eight, jumping ahead to October 13th, 2022, a search warrant was executed for Allen's residence and among other things, and there were many things, but a six hour model P226 40 caliber, caliber pistol was recovered. And point number nine, and this is additional information, but when you compare it to the PCA um, points, it's really interesting. Soon after the murders, Richard Allen checked himself into a local mental hospital and stayed there for 30 days. And this was something that police were talking about early. Do you know of anyone <clears throat> who seems mentally unstable? Do you remember like after the murders or around that time was somebody going through a hard time? Well, <clears throat> here's what happened. 
they did have Richard Allen under suspicion. But the latest thing that happened was they said that his file was misfiled. They lost his information. And at first they blamed it on a clerk, and they're always going to blame it on a clerk. But it was, um, I think it happened at the FBI level. They had all kinds of information on Richard Allen, and then they lost it. I don't know. You know, it's a small town. You could probably check him, you know, track him down again. I don't know why it took five and a half years. But he had to be on somebody's mind that whole time. It's not like this guy was a criminal mastermind. He left an unspent bullet. Now, I don't know if you can trace a bullet to an individual gun, but it narrows down, you know, the gun owners. Like, let's look at the people who own 40 calibers. And here's a guy who said, hey, I was there. And this is a guy who lived in Delphi. Not too many people. And he worked very publicly. I think it was a CVS is where he worked. And it took five and a half years to circle back to him. And that's what is really aggravating. And I think what happened in the early days of the investigation, and this is just my assumption, police were, were heavily suspecting Ron Logan, the man who owned the property on which the girl's body was found were found. And once they were able to rule Ron out as the murderer, Richard Allen, just in their minds, must have fallen through the cracks. And that is unfortunate, as did his file, apparently. But sadly, Ron Logan died from COVID, knowing that a lot of people still thought he was the murderer, when in reality, he was distraught over the murders. And again, law enforcement from the beginning, they were saying the murderer was a local and that he was hiding in plain sight and that they've probably talked to him before. So maybe, you know, like I said, the PCA doesn't reveal all the reasons or all the facts behind a murder, but maybe, maybe there's something else that has yet to be revealed that stopped them from arresting him earlier on. You know, these PCAs are limited in scope, but what we know now is like, oh my gosh, it took five and a half years to arrest him. And in the meantime, Richard Allen has pled not guilty. Okay. Um, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to see how long my voice lasts. I'm moving on now to my main subject, which is on super aging or being a super ager or even it's called a queen ager. So let's talk about the cognitive super ager. This is a person who possesses a brain as sharp as those who are 20 to 30 years younger than they. There's this elite group enrolled at the Northwestern Super Aging Research Program, 
which has been studying elderly people with superior cognitive function with their memories. The program is a part of the, I might mangle this word, Mesulam Center for Cognitive Neurology and Alzheimer's Disease at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago. To be a superager, a term coined by the Northwestern researchers, the subject um, of the study must be over 80 years old and they must undergo extensive cognitive testing. And acceptance into the program only happens if the person's memory is as good or better than cognitively normal people in their 50s and 60s. Superagers are required to have outstanding episodic memory, the ability to recall everyday events and past personal experiences. But then superagers just need to have at least average performance at other cognitive tests, said cognitive neuroscientist Emily Rogalski, a professor of psychology and behavioral sciences at the Feinberg School. Only about 10% of people who apply to the program meet these criteria, um, said Rogalski, who developed the superager program. It's important to po point out when we compare the superagers to the average agers, they have similar levels of IQ. So the differences we're seeing are not just due to intelligence. And I think that's a very important point because whether you're highly intelligent or, you know, just your everyday glomp, we're talking about your memory and how sharp it is and how agile your brain is at an older age. Okay, so once accepted into the program, 3D scans that are very colorful are taken of the brain and cognitive testing and brain scans are repeated every year or so. Analysis of the data over the years has yielded fascinating results. So for instance, most people's brains actually shrink a bit as they get older. But in superagers, studies have shown that the cortex, the cortex which is uh, responsible for thinking, decision-making, and memory, remains much thicker and shrinks more slowly than those of people in their 50s and 60s. Again, these people are old, like all over 80 years old. <clears throat> a superager's brain, usually donated to the research program by participants after death, also have bigger, healthier cells in the entorhinal cortex. The entorhinal cortex, or the EC, is an area of the brain's allocortex located in the medial temporal lobe whose functions include being a widespread network hub for memory, navigation, and the perception of time. The EC is the main interface between the hippocampus and the neocortex. It's one of the first areas of the brain to get hit by Alzheimer's disease.
according to Tamar Geffen, an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Northwestern. So the EC has direct connections to other key memory center, specifically the hippocampus, and is essential for learning and memory. Superagers, or their brains, had three times fewer tau tangles, which are abnormal plaque formations of protein within the neuron. The neuron, of course, is the nerve cell. Then the brains of cognitively healthy controls, the study also found. Tau tangles are a hallmark sign of Alzheimer's and other dementias. Geffen went on to say, we believe that larger neurons in the entorhinal cortex suggest that they are more structurally sound and can perhaps withstand neurofibrillary tau tangle formation. She also found that the brains of superagers had more von economo neurons. Now, von economo, von economo, these neurons are spindle-shaped and they are rare, you know, as far as living beings go. They're a rare type of brain cell that have only been found in humans, great apes, elephants, whales, dolphins, and songbirds. <clears throat> the von economo neurons are thought to allow rapid communication across the brain. <coughs> Another theory is that these special neurons give humans and great apes, etc., an intuitive advantage in social situations. The von economo neurons were found in the anterior cingulate cortex, which forms a collar in the form of the brain linking the cognitive reasoning side with the emotional feeling side. The anterior cingulate is thought to be important for regulating emotions and paying attention, which is another key to good memory, paying attention. Taken together, these discoveries appear to point to a genetic link between a superager Geffen said, however, the only way to confirm whether superagers are born with larger entorhinal neurons would be to measure those neurons from birth until death, and that obviously isn't possible. Superagers share similar traits among each other. We're going back to Rigals, what Rogalski is saying. Superager folk tend to stay physically active they tend to be positive. They challenge their brains every day, reading or learning something new, and many continue to work into their 80s. Superagers are also social butterflies. They're surrounded by family and friends, and they can often be found volunteering in the community. Rogalski said when we compare superagers to normal agers, we see that they tend to endorse more positive relations with others. This social connectedness 
may be a feature of superagers that distinguishes them from those who are still doing well, but who are what we would call an average or normal ager. Conversely to the so-called superager brain, it's possible for your brain to be older than your chronological age, which is what we want to avoid. We all want to avoid this. So think of your brain like it's a bank account and we make deposits or new connections between our brain cells by learning. Our memories are housed in these connections. This is what we call neuroplasticity. The brain is plastic and can cha change shape and build new cognitive superhighways, even into advanced aging. As we age, we naturally lose some connections. But back to the banking metaphor, it's like we're making a withdrawal every year, but the more deposits we make throughout our lives, the less our net worth is affected by those withdrawals. One study found that adults with more years of education had more active frontal lobes when they took memory tests. Activity in the frontal lobe is associated with better memory. And just as an aside, it's also really possible to heal an injured frontal lobe. Possible. I'm not saying that it will happen in every case. Now, I'm going to give you an example, and this is, of course, different from Alzheimer's and dementia. But my mother once had a hemorrhagic stroke in her frontal cortex. Once she began reading and socializing again, she was almost back to normal. And on a day-to-day -day basis, the more she read and the more she socialized, the better she did than a day when she wasn't doing any of that. Because the frontal cortex governs personality, it did change her personality a bit. It turned her from a highly emotional, anxious worrier into someone who was more subdued and detached when it came to life's problems. The point I'm trying to make is that reading, socializing, and even knitting, because this was, um, I thought, crocheting, she knew how to knit. She was learning how to crochet. Um, that brought her back to a good new normal because she was doing these things. And as far as like dementia and Alzheimer's, I, I think this holds true for that too. Um, I mentioned higher education. Higher education is not the only way to maintain memory. In another study, if individuals had lower levels of education, if they attended lectures, if they wrote and read often, they had memory scores on par with those who were more educa <clears throat> educated. So there's websites out there like Khan Academy, Khan Academy. K-H-A-N Academy, and there's other educational companies that offer free courses, um, and they are pretty much available to at anyone's fingertips, so that's a way of teaching yourself something new. Um, already established university and colleges also offer free courses. 
So um, for me, I might take advanced math classes, not necessarily for a new career, but just to keep my brain in shape, to learn something new, to challenge myself. And this brings me to my next point. Keeping your brain healthy is not all about Sudoku, which I love. Um, people are playing Wordle now, and crossword puzzles are all, always fun. These can have cognitive benefits for sure, but in these cases, you are mostly exercising with the knowledge and the skills that you already have. What does make significantly new connections in the brain is learning new skills and information. Again, it's that challenge. The process should be challenging and that's something superagers tend to embrace. And sometimes in some cases they even crave that feeling of frustration when they learn something outside of their expertise. So in other words, it is imperative to cross train your brain. Approach learning the way, um, yeah, I would say approach, you know, exercising your brain and learning the way you would for a physical fitness training. So you wouldn't go to the gym, for example, and just work out one body part or one muscle group. The same goes for your brain. Learn a new language, for example, that will work out different parts of your brain, not just one part. In fact, learning a new language is one of the very best ways of exercising your brain. Learning a new sport or a new musical instrument, those are good things to do too. You can cross train your brain by mixing mental and physical learning activities. You can even plan out different types of activities. So what I wanna do is give you an example of a cognitive exercise plan um, for example, on day one, you can learn something mentally stimulating, such as listening to a podcast um, on, an, on a subject that you're interested in, or taking an online course. On day two, you can do something that requires learning through movement, like a new sport or dance or yoga. And on day three, be social, grab coffee with a friend, or go to a dinner party. So social interaction is a form of learning that has been associated with staving off dementia. You know, because in a social situation, you're curious, you're asking questions, you're listening and paying attention to what your friend is saying. And for those of you who are homebound, you can do something similar with FaceTime. Of course, in-person socializing is best, but things like FaceTime, they're the next best thing. No matter what it is, learning new things will keep your brain younger. So if you discovered something that you didn't know before listening to this episode, you're already helping your brain age at a slower pace. And you guys, this week I'm going to forego bedtime stories from the acoustic bookshelf. Um, I've got to rest my voice. I've got to gargle because um, this has been going on since 
I mean, I think I've been sounding nasal for a while since that first virus hit me in October. But since mon Monday, I've been having this kind of laryngitis -y voice and I need to rest it because I'm a teacher too. That doesn't help my voice. Anyway, um, I'm going to sign off now. So until next week, arrivederci.